Hey, what's up? Mr. Bill here. Before uh, listening to this podcast episode with Of The Trees, I wanted to take a minute to plug some stuff. First of all, I just dropped a one-year anniversary mix for Beleagle Beats on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Um, go to beleaglebeats.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com forward slash beats to listen to that. Um, basically, the label's a year old, so I put together a 30-minute mix with Jonah Hodges just showcasing a bunch of... Uh, bunch of the music that we've released and i'm pretty happy with how that turned out so go check it out also i did an ads uh stream like a live stream on adsr's youtube channel uh so you can go check that out on their youtube channel it's an eight hour stream of me just making a piece of music uh also starting i believe next week we're going to be offering patreon perks uh and having people subscribe on patreon to support the podcast and if you do that you will get access to some shit not sure what that stuff is yet but you should go to patreon and check it out there'll be a link probably in the episode description and of course as always if you want to learn shit about ableton and get better at production go to mrbillstunes.com uh yeah enjoy the episode Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. sick man all right cool yeah welcome to the first ever remote mr bill podcast this is the first one nice yeah so when i started the podcast i never really wanted to do remote because um i don't know i feel like conversations are much better in person and yeah having a actual visual feedback from the other person seems kind of necessary sometimes but Right, yeah, body language and stuff. Like if somebody's taking a minute to think about how to answer a question or something yeah. on a call, you might just like butt in. And I don't know. Also, I just have a bad taste in my mouth, I think, from having calls online just from like back in the day when there was tons of latency. And I don't know. Also, like a lot of people just can't seem to figure out how to do calls online properly. So yeah, qu- quite often, yeah, you'll call someone and it's kind of like, hey, I can't hear you. And then they're like, well, I could hear you and you couldn't like... Well, plus I uh, I get to like close my eyes and imagine you how I'd like to instead of having to actually be with you. Yeah, that's so why I'm picturing your your avatar. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah in, instead of seeing week six quarantine, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah how's um? <laughs> how, how's uh quarantine going? Dude, it's fucking great. No, um, <laughs> I mean, all things considered, I don't know. I'm I'm doing fine. I'm I'm like finding more discipline than i've ever found because i have all the time in the world that i acted like i didn't have before you know like oh i can't do that i, I have a show in five days i can't do that you know just kind of unreasonably procrastinating things whereas now i'm like no you have the time to learn this software or learn this technique or do something like this or so it's i've just been doing that i, I might be overworking myself a little bit because that's all i have but um i'm enjoying that aspect of it you know yeah i'm i'm kind of in the same boat so i uh, initially was uh initially i was like sick this is a good chance for me to not overwork myself because i usually do yeah like i i have like um 
you know, my label, I have, well, I have two labels, like the music one and the, and the sample one. Then I have, you know, my YouTube tutorials that I do sometimes, plus the educational content I make for my website, plus shows, plus writing new shit all the time. And Yeesh. like, yeah, I'm always like doing stuff. So when this first started, I was like, fucking awesome. I'm just going to like take a bunch of time off. And I felt pretty good about it. But then I started kind of getting depressed and and then trying to get back into work after stopping it all was like kind of hard because then I was lazy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, waking up and doing shit is hard. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a period like in the middle there of where we're at now where I was just like, I just like hit a brick wall and I was like, great, I'm back to being miserable. Like this sucks. Like all the, <laughs> all these these existential issues coming up in my head and but now I'm back to like I'm building a PC this week, which I'm pretty excited about. That's like a new, a new thing. Yeah, I've had, I've gone through like a bit of the existential stuff too. Um, one one of the biggest things for me was that um, I usually just inherently kind of have a routine when not in quarantine. So, for instance, I will um usually wake up around like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or something, and then four days a week, like Monday through Thursday, I'll usually go to the gym. And then I'll like, you know, make lunch and then write music for X amount of hours and then go have dinner with a friend or something like that. And then come back home, write a little bit more music and then, I don't know, drink some beers and watch Netflix and go to sleep and then sort of like do that for Monday to Thursday. And then Friday through Saturday or Sunday, um, at least for the last few months before quarantine, I was on the road pretty much every weekend. Um, So it was kind of this like routine that I was like falling into that was nice. And I was, I just had like a like a flow going. Um, and then when all this stopped, I was like, fuck, that's like no more gym, no more shows. Like a bunch of stuff had just been ripped out of my life. So I just had so much fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm coming from pretty much pure touring nonstop all the time. So I was, I was finding the time to be productive in between shows, but sometimes, you know, if you do three shows in a weekend, you get home and finding that motivation to like get up early and start working on music all day and do things like that which is like what i like to do right now it's like i just want to lay around and you know do nothing you know for two days because i'm so exhausted so now i'm you know i'm not going out drinking every weekend i'm not you know traveling from one side of the country to the other on no sleep constantly it's just kind of right it's like okay what do i want to do today so yeah, I found a, a big thing that helped me was getting into task management. So like I, I started using a task list called Microsoft To Do. And then I also started using Evernote. And then I also started using Google Calendar a lot and just like building my routines really heavily in there. <clears throat> so now I kind of have this like routine that I do in structure. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. And it makes it makes having all the time in the world feel a little bit less weird. I've been uh, I've been using Slack a lot more with my management. And I was using I was using it pretty much exclusively. It's it's kind of a broken platform in some ways because it's I'm I'm realizing that Discord is way more efficient for what we're doing. Um, oh, dude, yeah, Slack is, <laughs> Slack is literally just Discord for old people. Yeah, I'm, I realize that it's like it's like one of those things, and that it's just kind of a industry standard in so many ways. But then when I'm using it, I try and customize one aspect of it. And it's like, Oh, you want to, I think one thing I was trying to do was add a channel for guests only. So like basically have one channel in your list of channels that you can bring in a person outside of the group. 
and they can have access to one channel, you have to pay a premium subscription to have that service. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I think getting my getting my management to be down to use Discord is is probably easier than I'm acting like it is. But yeah, Discord is cool. I guess Discord is just Slack for gamers, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and one thing I think that maybe they could try and work on is is marketing it a little differently. Like the the logo might be a little off-putting to some people that don't game in any way you know it looks like a little controller and shit like that so right yeah yeah totally what's the logo oh the slack logo is just like that cross hatch thing isn't it yeah it's pretty generic but fuck fuck. slack no (laughs) (laughs) man there's so much like there's how many meetings do you reckon went into like making that cross hatch logo uh probably a lot man i'm i'm currently working on a logo for a project and uh i worked my ass off on it for several days and i was really happy and then i showed it to my friends that i really trust on the visual spectrum and two of them just like i showed it to a few different people and they were like wow this is awesome man great work and then i showed it to my actually like you know graphic design savvy friends and they ripped it to shreds and it was like what i was kind of anticipating and now i'm like back to square one so i've been researching um damn i forget his name he's a guy that's he's he's reworked and created a bunch of really famous logos he's considered like the godfather but um and he did kind of a little podcast episode where they analyzed a bunch of his logos and he has all of these these mantras for creating logos and i'm kind of back at square one and i'm trying to do something simple i'm realizing like how how many levels of commitment goes into making a logo for these big companies like right there's there's a lot of psychology behind it and it's like i don't know it's crazy and now it's got me like completely overanalyzing this really simple logo but so are you a um like a graphic designer of any sort yeah um i did that before i did music really i uh like way back in the day when i was in grade school i was on message boards making like video game like designs for fanatics like people would have their i don't know if you remember back in the day on like a php forum there'd be uh signatures and people would have these little signature images with their with their name on it their screen name and some video game they like so i would use that and do something crazy with that and uh it was crazy at the time for me but then i started using those skills to make flyers when i got into the music scene and logos for people but i fucking hate doing freelance graphic design work for people i'm way too obsessed with having control over everything i can't stand people because like you have no you have no real solid input if somebody wants to do something stupid and you just have to roll with it and you know it's (laughs) And you're constantly learning to charge people more and more right, right. until eventually for me, it got out of anybody's budget that my skill set was even suitable for. So I just kind of realized, okay, this isn't for me. I'll just do it myself. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of the same doing any freelance work. I mean, it's the same if you do, um, like I've been writing music a little bit lately in the quarantine for video games as well. And, oh, yeah. um, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like these people who don't really know, like don't have the vocabulary necessary to articulate what they exactly want out of you. 
but they um, but they act like they do and that's that was my right, issue right. <laughs> like <laughs> you'll you know you'll have a very simple product for them you know it's like a starting point and they're like well this needs to be more i'm like okay well i need some direction you know <laughs> that's like, the feedback that is just, like it's good but it needs to be more <laughs> yeah just just make it dope and i'm like great okay i so so far i've got good and dope uh to work with and <laughs> like i i hated it or people would just you know they would see my portfolio and and ask for something completely different than what they see, you know, they just think, oh, I'm sure it happens with the music for video games. They think, okay, well, actually, I guess you're a lot more prolific with music than I am with graphics, but they'd be like, they would look at my portfolio, then they would ask for some fucking insanely complicated thing for, you know, 300 bucks. And I'm like, and I tried my best, and sometimes they'd be like, oh, I was expecting a little more. Like, I'm like, okay, well, you have to pay for that, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's you're really selling your your hours, right? Like you're selling your time. So yeah, I, I I would just get really anxious and aggravated by it. So I I just don't do it anymore. Even if people really really want me to, <laughs> I I can't stand it. Speaking of selling your time, <clears throat> I've been reading this book lately called "Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus" by Douglas Ruskoff. And it's basically about how in San Francisco, there used to be these, oh, I guess there still is, these Google buses that would pick up Google employees from bus stops and then uh, drive these employees to the Google offices like 40 miles away. Um, but all of, the, uh, all of the surrounding areas around these bus stops in San Francisco skyrocketed in price with the rent because it was like where all the Google employees would live because they wanted to be close to the bus stop. And on top of that, uh, to add insult to injury, Google was not paying taxes to like stop at these bus stops. So a bunch of people started getting really pissed off at Google and like throwing rocks at the bus. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been reading this book and, and a lot of what this guy talks about is he, um, he talks about how society has turned into this like growth-based society and we're all stuck in this growth trap and shit. And like rather than back in the day, where people at like the bazaar, like the European markets where you would go and there would just be trading between people instead of like selling your wares, you instead sell your hours now. And I don't know, it's like an interesting way to look at shit, I guess. I can feel that for sure. Oh, I, also it's like, uh, that kind of adheres to the music industry too. I feel like it's not. Well, kind of, I mean, not, not when you're talking about music sales there, right? Like you, when you're selling, say, your music on Bandcamp, you are selling your your wares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I feel like the way the industry works now and how it's encouraged to push everyone to be comparing themselves to other people, and it's just like everybody asks, like, "Oh, how, what's the, I, I, what's the trick?" I guess to to getting to your level or being able to create this level of music, like, what's the trick? And I'm like, literally all it is is time and how much time you're willing to put in it you'll get everything back out of it you know do you think so though like do you think it's a linear like one-to-one what you put in is what you get out kind of thing depending on how much you want to get actually out of the music i think yeah like if you if you if it comes naturally to you making something simple and that's kind of your sound that's your that's your music that you're putting out there but if you're the like the level of complexity uh, to what your average beatport charting EDM song right now is they're generally pretty complicated and difficult to learn but a lot of these 
techniques, everybody is doing the same thing. So it's like, you can just learn all of these techniques and keep applying yourself and keep learning more and you can create, you know, what's relevant right now, but it's not just gonna, you're not gonna just buy some plugin or something. And Right. So what you're saying is <clears throat> if you wanted to be a big EDM artist, you pretty much could linearly just pick up Ableton, start learning it. And within, I don't know, six to 12 months, if you put in 12 hours a day and like work super fucking hard, you could get a career out of it. Yeah, I, I think some people are predisposed to the skill set, though, for sure. Like, I, I, I believe it definitely comes easier to some people, and some people it comes extremely difficultly. But I've seen those people keep pushing and pushing through when they weren't really getting to where they wanted to be, even though they were spending tons of time. They spent all that extra time, and they eventually reached a level where they were making music that people were listening to and consuming, you know? Right. Yeah. I feel like for me, um, it was like that. I made music in garage band for like three or four years before I even touched any other DAW. And when I started like realizing, okay, I can't really do what I want in garage band cause it's a you know, kind of limited. Um, and then I started messing around with like FL and Ableton and Cubase and logic and trying to like figure out which one I liked out of the bunch um, those, yeah, a huge learning curve there. And I, I feel like it wasn't really until I got to university that I had this sort of breaking point. And that was like probably a thousand hours into producing before I think I was able to even like get a semi decent piece of music out of the software. I feel like I wasn't making what I wanted to make until like two years ago, really. And I've been doing this for over 10 years. I've been using DAWs. So, I mean, I've been creating music forever, but. I would, I could put a song together, but it didn't sound, it, I don't think it was me trying my best up until a few years ago when right. I really just, I, same thing with kind of like playing an instrument. I just stopped everything that I was used to doing. I went from Reason to Ableton and started at the bottom with the absolute foundation of producing. And when I did that, I was just automatically already making better music, you know, just slowed down, found some lessons online that were intended for people that were opening up a DAW for the very first time and just went through all of those tutorials, went through everything, learned about the most basic functions of the software, learned about how audio in general works. And I instantly got way better, you know, teaching. Yeah, like man. I was a student instead of, just right, right. thinking I was the shit. I don't think you can ever be good enough at the fundamentals, to be honest. It's one of those things that like a lot of masters of a lot of shit say, not to say that I'm a master of anything, but like, you know, you hear like some crazy drummer or something. Like I, I'm into watching drum videos online sometimes because I just think watching a sick drummer is one of the sickest things. And they're always like, yeah, man, you can never be like just good enough at playing this simple like sticking rudiment or whatever. And it's like, how the fuck? yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you translate that into what you just did on the kit? Like what you just did on the kit was mental and this paradiddle thing looks pretty fucking boring in comparison. But I guess if you're saying it, then like- well, I think a lot of that comes because you stop only working instinctually. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people who are musically inclined have an instinctual concept of harmony and and rhythm and groove that you can kind of ride out. But if you go back 
and you start at the basics and you learn what you're even doing. Like I've always been able to play keys, but I didn't really know why is because I, I, I was taught how to play guitar and I just easily, you know, keyboard is, it goes from six strings in different shapes into really just pushing some buttons, you know? Right, so right. it came easy, but I still didn't know what chords I was playing. I didn't know, <clears throat> I didn't know the fundamentals of what I was even doing. And when I went back and I learned that I instantly got better. Right. Yeah. I think there's been some studies um, of basketball players and they took like two teams of basketball players and had them both play like, I don't know, basketball, I suppose. And um, <clears throat> then I think they told one team to go away and not think about playing basketball. And they told the other team to go away and to think about playing basketball. And then when they got back, I don't know, one, the ones who thought about it whilst they were away from the basketball were like way better or something. I don't know how that's, that's related or anything. So you're saying we should play basketball. I'm saying we should, no. <laughs> uh, one way that you can get better at something is if you think about it a lot when you're not doing it. Yeah. And then also sleep apparently has a lot to do with learning. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Apparently a lot of, a lot of, uh, muscle growth and also brain plasticity. Neuro- yeah, yeah. Neuroplasticity. Happens. I've been yeah. researching that a lot because I can not only feel my body getting older, but I can feel the neglect of all the shitty sleep and partying that I've done over the last 10 years in this industry, it's start, I can feel it start catching up. So I've, I've started kind of dabbling in nootropics and, um, I've been taking lion's mane supplements is apparently, you know, there's not a ton of clinical research behind it, but it's natural. It's not going to hurt me. So I've been taking those and I do feel better. I do feel like less of the brain fog is there. Hmm. Yeah, have you messed around with like the Joe Rogan shit, like Alpha Brain? I haven't. No, I. Is that that's more of like a like a synthetic supplement, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to know. say. But like, I think um they at least say that they've done a lot of studies on it and trials that they. I guess the trials have probably been run by them though. So, <laughs> well, that that's um that's that's the difference between like natural nootropics and things um that are intended to help neuroplasticity and just neurological growth is like all the ones that they're making like in labs those ones are actually tried out and have clinical tests and are backed by evidence so stuff like lion's mane and mushroom supplements we don't really know how effective they are but all of the synthetic alternatives are based on naturally occurring things so right you know isn't Adderall considered a nootropic? Um, no, I, not to my knowledge, because it's just com- the, considered like amphetamines, right? Yeah, it's a stimulant, it, it, so it works in a completely different way. Stimu- and there's not really any evidence that shows that things like Adderall actually help your brain. I think they just kind of stimulate you and get you cranked up and make it easier to do things and easier to focus. Like I have terrible ADHD. I would love if. I enjoyed taking Adderall if it could work for me because it works, but it also makes me feel like shit. So right. try um, to find the holistic approach. Yeah, well, damn, I'm sorry to hear that you have ADHD. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough, but not having a day job is the best thing that I could have ever done, I think. Right, because then you would have had to like gear your entire life around this ADHD thing and having to be at this job and whatnot. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of day jobs and it never really ended well. So, <laughs> right. I wanted to circle back a little bit um, onto the topic of how you say musicians kind of have this natural inclination to do certain things in music. And I feel that as well. And one thing I've, I notice a lot when I'm writing music is, especially with chord progressions, because I'm that's an area where I could for sure use more work. I often find like I'm kind of doing the same things with, with chord progressions when I'm programming them through MIDI. And I'm, I'm sure you probably like feel the same things as well. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. What, so what's your like solution to that problem or how do you feel about that problem? Or, um, or do you even see it as a problem, I guess? I do see it as a problem and it's something that I've been working on a lot specifically lately, actually. Um, I think a lot of that comes from like what I, it, unless you're a classically trained pianist or, you know, a, a longtime student of music, I feel like what you're really doing and what we're all doing, how we all got started is that we're emulating the music that we admire or the music that we find palatable. So like those chord progressions that we shit out when we get in front of a keyboard or when we're programming MIDI, the knack to do that is based in you kind of emulating what you've heard. And that's what I do. And like, I, th I think that came really easily for me. So I think my music is kind of poppy and digestible at times. And I don't have an issue with that, but like the music I like, like what I've been really paying attention to and things like James Blake and Jacob Collier, like these fucking awesome pianists, what they're doing sounds more emotive and interesting to me, but that's because they're going there. And like I said, they're, they're starting at the fundamentals and they're doing way more complex harmonies and things that I still haven't wrapped my head around as a, as a musician. So I think the best way to go around that is to pay attention to people that are just a lot better than you and figure out what exactly they're doing, why it sounds more interesting to you, why, why you like it more. And I was, I was listening to an interview that James Blake did on his Instagram. And he said, he's, he's pretty self-taught for the most part, if I recall. And that's what he's saying is that, you know, all these common chord progressions they're they're tried and true and you can find them across all forms of you know european scale based music and they sound good because they evoke an emotion but when you get more complicated with it they can kind of in his you know i his his eyes and ears that uh, the more complex it gets the more complex the emotions you evoke are so you're tapping into like a more refined, you know, as if you, as you get better and make more harmonic, rich chord progressions and melodies, you're tapping into like more specific feelings from the listener and from you as you write it. So I've been kind of trying to learn just more advanced music theory. And cause I know once I learn every technique that I learn, I eventually just start subconsciously kind of putting it in my music as I'm writing it. And yeah, I'm just trying to get weirder and weirder with it, you know, and that's what mm. makes the music more interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's also like, um, more rewarding too. I think like one thing I've noticed is the more like words that I learn, just like English words, the better I'm able to articulate the way that I'm feeling to somebody else. And if I can like say the exact thing I'm feeling, it's like the most rewarding thing ever. Right. Or, or if I have like a complicated idea, I need to explain to somebody else like um like something in ableton or whatever and i just know all the terminology to do it and yeah. i can be like 
here's like exactly what I'm trying to say. And I say it in like, you know, a very concise, like the least amount of words possible. Yeah. And every you, word is like the correct, most meaningful word to, to convey that exact it gives like you abstract a, idea that I'm trying to convey to somebody else. It just, yeah, it's very rewarding. So I, I feel like music is sort of similar in that way, right? And I actually saw a tweet you made the other day where you said um, you feel like you can create the music you hear in your head now for the first time ever or something, and that makes you feel really good. Yeah, that, that might have been a little overambitious and excited at the time, but I do feel like I'm kind of getting there. I feel like I've hated my chord progressions for a while, and that's something that I, at this point, you know, aside from the whole timbre of the music that's what i want to focus on the most is conveying emotion and making it making it you know danceable but uh but yeah i think like you said the same same thing goes with being more eloquent it's like being more musically eloquent and it gives you like a dopamine kick like you said when you when you can kind of just off the top of your head shit out a paragraph that explains exactly what you're trying to say and that might be because you've learned words from books you've been reading or something like that and you get a dopamine kick from it you know you're like yeah like sweet like, <laughs> i'm getting smarter you know like yeah what what do you think like the um <clears throat> because i mean generally most of the things that we feel or do stem from like millions of years of evolution right mm -hmm. um what do you think is like the benefit of uh, obviously there is a benefit to being able to articulate well and also feeling understood because both of these things feel really good almost to all humans. It seems like unanimously. So what do you think like the, the, uh, like evolutionary, like historical benefit has been of that for us to like have that response to it? To music you're, you're saying like what? To, to just feeling understood in general and also being able to articulate really well, which I feel like a yeah, in somewhat um, similar things i maybe it's a i i mean i think intellect and your general iq and things like that are perhaps tied to a biological response that you're <laughs> you know you're advancing yourself and you're becoming a more desirable human i don't know maybe that's maybe i'm high but <laughs> uh, I, speaking of getting high i actually started getting high again recently hell yeah nice what yeah. do you what, how how have you been administering it uh through a pax pen nice yeah those are great yeah yeah i'm, I'm into the pax pods i'm mostly doing like cbd shit but i'm also doing a little bit of uh, indica stuff like two to one kind of thing here uh a lot of the cbd stuff is just one to one but that i have such a low tolerance that it still gets me high yeah, I, I I still haven't really wrapped my head around CBD as much because I think I'm kind of sensitive to any mind-altering substances. And I swear, like, I've taken all kinds of, you know, fancy broad-spectrum CBD, and it, it still makes me feel like I smoked. Like, and I'm positive the stuff I'm taking is is pure and, and it's not hot, as they say, and it's still like the the intense relaxation i feel maybe i'm just taking too much <laughs> like but i feel slightly inebriated sometimes like i don't it's a, it's not as mental but it's definitely something you know i i i distracts me at times by how much i can feel it if i've taken enough cbd but i also right. smoke every day so it doesn't really matter but right yeah is your body just like a 
blast furnace from cannabis at this point <laughs> uh during quarantine is specifically for sure yeah i don't know this it's been getting it's been getting me through quite a bit it's, it's crucial how much weed would you say you smoke per day not a lot really i really like m- more than some people but not i i'm friends with a lot of people that are career heavy heavy smokers and they would laugh at how much i smoke <laughs> But I, I don't I don't smoke a ton of flour right now because my roommate just got a, a Puffco Peak, the the electronic dab rig where you put a dab in it, you click a button twice and it vibrates when it's ready and you just suck on it. And it's like, it's been the worst thing for my tolerance because now apparently <laughs> I, t- I take dabs every day when I didn't before. Um, but they're just way more high energy and I can focus more and you can, I feel like you can kind of, more purely feel the intended effects of the strains with concentrates as opposed to smoking weed. Um, but which I do that too, but that's usually later in the night, you know, kind of bogs me down a little bit, even if it's heavy sativa or anything, just smoking flour seems to drain my energy more than, than dabs do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't really think there's too much of an issue having a high weed tolerance. If you're just doing dabs and oils and shit, it doesn't seem like it's that bad for your body, right? No, for me, the, the, the only bad thing is it just gets more expensive and you know and and sometimes if you're if you're really heavily into it or edibles and and stuff like that you can definitely kind of lose track of how much it's actually contributing to being productive versus how much you're content with doing nothing you know it's it's a fine line and i i definitely try not to cross it if i'm in the studio all day or something i but i definitely sure i definitely like to get stoned before i make music right um do you experiment a lot with uh making music whilst high versus sober uh yeah i think that's it's it's a super valuable part of the process for me because i'll start out sober or you know i do i do the more meticulous stuff sober Mm -hmm. like mixing things where you you might have altered your sense of hearing without even realizing it so i try and be i don't even wear a hat you know stuff like that like i just Right. turn off everything in my house but like yeah because if you start you know you get a little stone and then you make something cool as you're working on it over the course of the next few hours the 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 weed's gonna wear off and you're gonna be sober and you might eventually start to realize that what you're doing was only cool because you're high so then you can stop <laughs> and do something else and also it's to me it it, it alters your perception just enough where same with psychedelics and stuff that you're you're given the closest thing to a fresh pair of ears right Mm. then and there that you wouldn't really have otherwise so like you know that's true yeah it gives you a like new perspective to look at music from for sure yeah it's just sounds different you know especially if you're really stoned and and to me it just kind of yeah it's a new perspective and um rob supercilious i think was the one that said uh He's like, it would be irresponsible not to listen to your music in in different um, states of mind. I think he might have said, Tipper said that, but I, right. he's, it would be irresponsible not to, you know, like take some psychedelics and listen to an album before you put it out, you know, just because. It would be irresponsible for Tipper not to do that because he almost exclusively plays it to people on psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, which is a beautiful thing, you know what I mean? That like he's kind of responsible for being this vessel for so many people's personal journeys you know that 
if there's something and sometimes it does happen you know if i if i eat some psychedelics and i listen to my music uh, you hear something kind of jarring or or corny you know you'll hear something cheesy that on the surface level you thought oh this is fine like this is a cool cool sound it's sonically interesting and then you'll listen to it in an altered state of mind you'll go back and you're like this this is whack like (laughs) i feel like i'm being you know like disingenuous or something (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah hearing uh how genuine you're you're being with what you're offering to is more evident i feel like in a different state of mind i honestly i feel like historically i've put out a lot of disingenuous music in the past and i think that that's because like um I, I went through like a huge phase of like just being entirely sober. And then I went through a huge phase of being an alcoholic as well. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, my tolerance for alcohol got so fucking bad. I was able to like drink a six pack of IPAs, like 9% IPAs and an entire bottle of like rum. Oh, yeah. And, and be literally fine. And then wake up the next day and feel fine. Oh, I, I probably got pretty close to that a few years ago. I, uh, these days i i i only drink to quell like uh, uh, having social anxiety and things like that like now that i'm home every day drinking mm. is a chore if i'm like if my girlfriend's like hey let's let's have some drinks tonight i have like one drink i'm like i don't like the taste of this i just feel tired <laughs> tired more confused and like sloppy and stupid like and then it made me realize like oh, i'm i was never really an alcoholic i was just trying to enjoy myself you know surrounded by a bunch of strangers <laughs> or you know to get rid of a little stage fright or something like that you know which is still it's great for that you know i try, I try not to depend on it but but do you think if um if everybody realized that at the same time and everybody uh kept going to shows and whatnot but just everyone stopped drinking that it would always be like that awkward school disco at shows where like all the guys are just like lined up against one wall at the left side of the room and all the girls are lined up <laughs> on the other side of the room <laughs> for a and, while at least you know <laughs> i think i think the the need for it is all in your head you know but of course, yeah instead of sitting there and addressing you know some deeply rooted propensity for having anxiety i'd rather just have a few drinks and feel great (laughs) and and outgoing you know like having one or two drinks before a set and then having something to sip on while you're up there i get zero stage fright you know and Mm -hmm. i've tried to play a few sets completely straight headed and i'm fine it goes fine i the first 10 minutes you're kind of like ooh, this is scary but then uh it really just goes away like it does if you were drinking anyway, but getting over that initial hump, sometimes it's just easier to crush a few brews. Yeah, I, I um, actually exclusively played sober for a while and I actually really liked it. I, I think I prefer to play sober than drunk because I think when I'm drunk, I think the things that I'm doing, like taking all of these extra chances and stuff like that are good ideas. But they're really just like making the set sloppier and worse. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're like, damn, I'm I'm killing it right now. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was dude, you you just did something that you didn't plan on doing, you know, like this new risky mix for these two songs that you've never mixed together. That was awesome. You're the shit. Now you should always drink. Oh <laughs> if you don't drink, you're never gonna do cool organically spontaneous things like this ever again don't ever forget that (laughs) (laughs) just like the most fallacious logic yeah i think i i it just it 
cranks your ego up too, you know, like, or, or something in that vein. So that's definitely where that comes from. I mean, I granted, I do think I've taken some weird risks on stage when I was pretty drunk that were actually awesome. And I would have been too scared to take the risk otherwise, I think, but it, I think on a percentile, it's not, it's not the overwhelming majority that that's the move. Right. It's scary. It's, it's fucking scary being up there, man. Like, I, I don't know, man. I've kind of gotten over that. This I, the I, fear of I being have. in front of a. I just still think it's pretty unnatural, you know. I, it is. Yeah. It's I, super it, weird to be in front of you know, thousands of people looking at you playing music off a USB stick. Yeah. Like, you know, two hours after you just flew seven hours and we're in an uber for two hours you know something like yeah, yeah. you literally just had some toxic conversation with somebody backstage who you know when you're trying to get in your headspace and then you're up there like there's all kinds of factors that make it so different every time you know um circling back a little bit to being in the studio and trying to be productive um do you uh base your self-worth off your productivity ever Dude, yeah, no, absolutely. I like I was just saying before, I I had a little spell there, probably about a week ago, where I was just miserable for four or five days, having all these just beating myself up existentially, and and I realized it was because I was just working too much in the studio, and I I hit a wall without really realizing it because I think I was so used to this constant workflow I was happy with, mm. and I just started making some trash. And not really realizing it was trash until a couple of days later. And then just, you know, like you said, just basing my, my, my mental health is so dependent on my output. And that's just how it's always been. Like if I make a new banger or I finish an album, I'm like manically happy for, for a while. You know, I just feel like I feel fucking amazing. And also the adverse side of that, you know. Yeah, if I don't get a lot of shit done, I feel pretty bad. But what I've noticed lately is having this like task list thing that I was talking about earlier uh, is really useful because I can just put a shitload of tasks on it. And then as I finish them throughout the day, even if they're not specifically music related tasks, like just shit like cleaning my room and like just dumb shit like that. 100%. If I just tick them all off and then at the end of the day, look at all the shit that I've completed, I'm like, fuck yeah, I actually did like a ton of shit because I find I'm really bad at working super hard all day and then at the end of the day, if I just don't have a product to show for it, I'm like, oh, I didn't do anything, you know, yeah. but if, I, if I'm able to look at all these things and be like, no, I did shit. Like I cleaned my room. I like organized my emails. I, you know, organized a sample pack folder that was messy for a while. I like, you know, moved some project files around on my computer. I cook food. Yeah. I like, like, you know, if I can just look anything. at anything. Yeah, exactly. And if I look at that, I'm like, well, no, all of these like exterior things are very important to the thing that I'm thinking is more, most important, which is writing music and getting music finished. Um, and like, you know, self-expression in other ways, like, you know, I started getting into blender and shit like that. Um, dude, blender's sick. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I find, I find having that like alternate source of, of looking at the things that I've done to get the dopamine that way has been helping a little bit as well. So I'm not completely just hitting walls all the time. Like you were saying by just driving myself too hard on just Ableton. That's kind of one of the the beauties of being in quarantine is I can, I can uh, divide these, you know, seemingly small tasks that contribute a lot to my mental health 
I can divide it over a course of a few days if I don't really have the motivation to clean my entire fucking house. Right. I can just be like, okay, I'll clean my room today. You know what? I'll clean the rest of the house tomorrow. Like, but just as the older I get, the more I realize, you know, yeah, so much is rooted in your environment. And like, honestly, in the past year, I've, I've been paying attention to all things that seem to stimulate where my mindset is. Like, I, I'm into incense now. <laughs> like oh, I yeah, like dude. to light incense in the studio. I, I love, you know, keeping my bed sheets clean. And I also like, I spray it with the stuff that smells nice, like all this stuff to just ensure that my, I'm, I'm really anal about lighting and it seems to get, I don't know if that's years of experimenting with psychedelics or something that's kind of warped my brain, but cold lighting fucks with my mood and i've realized that the older i get so i like i like the lighting to be right like i like my house to be as cozy as possible because i realize it all comes back to my mental health so cleaning and just being tidy and being organized and having some sort of routine and also like you said with blender having a second uh avenue of creativity is huge too because sometimes i'll go through a period where i have writer's block so i use that time to make visual art and Sometimes immediately, as soon as I stop trying to make music, I'll open up Photoshop or Illustrator or Blender and I'll hit a create, I'll hit a flow state in the visual realm, like immediately. And I'll be addicted to doing that for like another week. Right, right. You know, and all of a sudden I have something that looks cool and it will inspire me to write a song. So I'll go back into the music world and I'm just constantly flip flopping between it's obviously predominantly music, but flip flopping between the two and like you said just having anything that i've done anything at the end of the day like like just like you i'm i'm super my sanity kind of depends on that having output you know yeah man no i agree completely i'm 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 sort of like all the things you said you're anal about uh and have noticed change your mood a lot uh i've actually noticed the exact same thing like i i I like to keep my bed sheets super clean also and like the light i have like hue lights and nano leaves and shit in my studio to like keep the lighting very carefully correct for each mood i'm in and stuff like that and I, I try to inform my friends too and they're like dude like like my or i have the the overhead light in my bedroom is this cold hollow hell light and my girlfriend just she doesn't she doesn't see it like i do she's a lot more sane maybe no but she'll it doesn't affect her at all having a warm light or is it, but it, like literally i'll I, it will put me in a bad mood if the light is on for too long because i just to me it feels so synthetic and it just takes me out of a, an inspired headspace, you know. I like like I have a salt lamp. I got I got like this LED strip running around my desk that I change the color sometimes depending on what music I'm working on. Like, right. and I fucking love it. I I I love incense. Like, and I I I like to pay attention, you know, from like an aromatherapy perspective. Like, which scents are more conducive to certain activities, like relaxing or getting inspired or feeling creative and you know and i like to just fucking light sandalwood or something if i'm trying to work in the studio and it's a vibe yeah i feel that I, i'm not a huge fan of incense though just because of the smoke but i really like uh those oil burner things like yeah. you just put a few drops in the vapor thingy and it just vapes out smell <laughs> i i think i and in some ways i would prefer something like that but i also think the incense to me is is also there's like a nostalgic factor of like festivals yeah or the first time as a kid that i was exposed to incense i was at some you know 
cool ass creative person's apartment or something you know that just like has tap you know just like somebody that's really into cozy heady vibes or something and like it just brings me back to like more simpler way of life or something but that's still it's it's the scent and the sensation that triggers something in your head to to put you in a different headspace and i'm all about it right um have you noticed like this sort of global leisurely pace of life that everyone seems to be in right now versus like this sort of other pace of life that people are usually in which is like massively kind of competitive and stuff like that i i not necessarily leisurely but i do notice at least from social media and talking to my friends that at least or from my peer group that globally everyone seems to be coping at a similar rate and going through the same kind of phases Mm -hmm. like it, it it you know it like at the beginning of quarantine everybody's panicking and and then for uh uh you know a few weeks after that conspiracy theories started popping up and I saw all my friends go through a conspiracy theory thing. And then a few weeks later, everybody kind of reached an even keel with making up their mind on deciding which conspiracy theories seem more relevant than the other ones. And everybody kind of calmed down and stopped talking about all these crazy things that aren't necessarily crazy, depending on what you believe. But like, and then everybody kind of quieted down on that. And then, you know, I saw a bunch of people get dogs at the same time. And and now I'm seeing a bunch of my friends, myself included, are building computers like all kind of at the same time and it's like it's interesting to me that on such a common scale people people's mental health fluctuates at the same level you know and they and they cope in the similar ways like and it's funny you say that because i actually did build a computer like a few weeks ago nice yeah i'm i'm expecting the parts in the next week or so i i went super budget build because i'm not trying to spend shit for money right now but at this point with how much I'm working and how much I'm trying to learn new mediums and I'm trying to get deeper into 3d modeling and stuff. My computer's just not cutting it. And I got a computer that's five times as powerful as my MacBook, And it's at least from a new purchase, it's less than half the price. <laughs> so I'm yeah, just that's, like, uh, that's what you get in the PC world. Yeah. I need, I need it at this point. Yeah, yeah. If I want, if I want to keep getting, better and learning new skills i i'm being completely bottlenecked by my computer at this point so totally i was just justified it that way i was just like no you you need this like um did you get a thread ripper i didn't i got the ryzen 5 which is a it's a cheaper um processor but it's i i spent a long time reading consumer reports and and for my budget figuring out what is the best possible setup that I can get that's graphic heavy. Nice. And, what, did, uh, uh, what did you go for with the graphics and RAM and stuff? Uh, I got a 2070 Super GeForce. For, nice. So I went I went NVIDIA for the graphics and then AMD mm-hmm. for everything else. And uh, it's 8 gig graphics card. And then, yeah, that six core processor and then 32 gigs of RAM. So I should be fucking good. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> I have no, I'm so excited to actually like really have the patience to get deeper into blender mostly right now because nice dude it's terrible on a mac (laughs) yeah yeah i can imagine um all right i want to i want to talk a little bit about um coronavirus stuff hell yeah more 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 so just like the exterior results of it not so much the actual virus itself but like 
do you think there's going to be any, like, I guess I'm curious and something I've been thinking about a lot is when all of this finishes, you know, like a bunch of people are going to have a new skill. A bunch of people are going to be like having these really hopefully fulfilling routines that they've gotten themselves into. And a lot of people are going to be kind of like, you know, when they go back to work and, and go back to the grind, maybe a lot of us in the art world who are touring a lot or a lot of even, you know, blue collar or whatever color, color people, green collars, whatever, are going to be like, oh, you know what? Like this actually sucks more than being at home and having time all the time to do what I want. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And and like what kind of results do you think that that might have on society as a whole? I I think for a while, at least, uh, for a few years, and then the people that might have had a tendency to, you know, not live their lives in that way. Cause I was already working towards being more disciplined, not giving as much of a fuck about my social life and clout and, you know, being around other people all the time in the past year. Or so I've just started isolating myself more and more. Cause I realized I led a happier and more fulfilling life. If I did, you know, not full isolation, but like isolating myself from what comes with the industry and with getting more followers on social media and getting more fans is, you know, you, 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 you get to a point where I did anyway, where you, I just started establishing boundaries between my personal life and this identity that I've created and this lifestyle. And I've just started realizing it was more important to me to be, continue being a student and continue learning to discipline myself more and more was the key to my happiness. So this kind of came easy for me, you know, but I think a lot of people were completely rooted in the opposite side of those things where you know and depending on your project and what you want to get out of it it's not necessarily a terrible thing but so many of these people their their approach to the music industry was was the shows and was the branding it was the being at this party and being tagged with this person and and now that that's completely removed from it i think i would like to think a lot of those people are discovering you know, more about music and advancing themselves and leveling up. And another thing is, I think being in social situations is going to be weird for a while when we're finally allowed to, you know, reduce social distancing. I think, I think there's, there's almost a small level of like trauma that's going to be inflicted on everybody that. Dude, I've been thinking the exact same thing. I've I've thought about this so much. I'm like, how, like, when realistically do you think a like, cause I, I have a show at Red Rocks supposedly booked for November, but I keep thinking like, when realistically are people going to be comfortable being around 10,000 people again? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't gonna, know if mentally people are going to be there after this trauma. It's I, trauma. Yeah. Like by November, I don't think people are mentally going to be back there in that. I, mental state. I, I have a show in, at Red Rocks in October. I, I don't want to speculate on that podcast of what, cause I would love to play it, but it's also, it's like, Whoa, how, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect. I have, my anticipation is completely neutral. I'm not getting too excited. I'm not getting too, you know, negative and pessimistic about the outcome, but also I'm just like, I don't know because I, at this point, what this is instilled in me is I'll see pictures of people in large groups or high-fiving or hugging strangers, you know, at festivals. And my first instinct is like a spike of anxiety in my head. (laughs) And that's something that happened, you know, years ago. 
like, but my brain's like, whoa, that's not okay. And I'm like, well, fuck, how long, like everybody must be feeling like this. So, so when is that going to go away? And is it ever going to go away? You know, like at least to some degree, because we've, we've been trained or trained, I guess it's depending on how you look at it, you know, it's encouraged conditioned, yeah, conditioned that being physically around another human is not okay. And like, and and right now we're not like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be okay at this date all we're given is we don't know it could be in a month it could be in four years we're not allowed to you know leave your front stoop you know like everybody's freaking out so there's no there's no comfort there there's nothing comforting us Mm -hmm. and like for at least if you're a really you're looking at things from a really black and white perspective there's nothing there's (laughs) there's no hope yeah it's just like well, there is. I mean, like, no, I, I, I have hope for sure. But yeah, yeah there's, there's virologists or virology, however, I don't know, virus experts who are basically being like, we've gotten through these kinds of things before. We'll get through this one again. Yeah, absolutely. No, no one's dragging their feet when it's coming to trying to get a vaccine going. Like, everyone's working hard on that. But I, I don't think we've ever been such an invasively social species, you know, as humanity up at until this point. Things is, are way different now and and we're all involved in each other's lives in such a different way that it's we've never ever experienced the fallout of a virus like this on in a modern age you know right yeah totally and i mean yeah there hasn't been like definitely the the at least what one or two generations before us have never experienced this so like we don't know kind of what um what sort of uh impact this would have on a on a generation worth of people especially a generation worth of people this connected because you know yeah it's a pretty unique situation i mean this connected like on the internet and there's there's also more propaganda and fear-mongering is it's specifically suited to people's tendencies like politically or or you know i i uh, speaking of which like privacy and such now you don't really have privacy I actually just um, downloaded the browser that I saw on your girlfriend's name. I'm, I apologize. I don't know her name, but. Oh, yeah. On, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I just got brave because I was like, I, I've okay. never really been conscious about my privacy. I've always kind of just been like, ah, I'm already in the system. Like they already know everything about me. But now I'm like, well, you know, why not moving forward, try and protect myself? And th- that browser just kind of made me think a lot like how they advertised it. Like you're being everything you do on the internet is being tracked and suited to you so now like i said the fear-mongering and the propaganda like whether you know which side of the perspective you lean to now everything's everything that you look at you know i use reddit a lot and as time goes on i've realized how biased the community on reddit is and then i don't necessarily inherently agree with them on everything but because that's my favorite website to get all my news and stuff i'm automatically receiving a biased source and so like we've ne- so it, just coming back to the virus, I think uh, there's different perspectives depending on how you lean politically on how we're dealing with this, on how dangerous it is. And regardless of what you believe, you're going to be encouraged to feel that way by the media you consume. Mm. So everybody's everybody's going to, everybody's on a different wavelength right now, you know, as far as how they feel about the future or how they feel about the present with the virus. And then like, we're all just going to be kind of released back into the world and expected to just like carry on with all these different theories floating around and all these different lifestyles, you have these people fucking protesting in huge groups, but you know, they're, they're all wearing masks. Like 
they say it's fake, but they inherently believe that it's true because they're wearing masks, you know, like right, you're right. not, you're not going to get a fine <laughs> if you're, if you're not going to get a ticket, if, if you're not wearing a mask. So why are you wearing a mask? If you're protesting that the validity of this virus, you know, I just think it's, it's going to, this is going to fuck us up for a while, you know? Totally. Going back to privacy, um, the main reason to do it from what I understand is because companies these days are just so good at uh, getting information from you, like ulterior information that isn't exactly like, you know, what you're saying in your emails or your DMs or anything like that, but specific, specific other things. Like for instance, um, there's this thing called pixel tracking. And like if a company like Facebook, right, uh, was taking information from me as they do if I was using a browser like Chrome, they're able to see certain things. So for instance, I have like a big monitor. It's like a 43 inch monitor. I also have an RME sound card and I also have like a very specific mouse and keyboard and they can get all of that information, I think, just from me visiting Facebook so they can build a profile. And because that's like three or four very unique pieces of gear, they'll just instantly be like, that's that guy. Even if I'm using a VPN or a, you know anything to protect Christ. my... Yeah, it's crazy. So, so the way that they see the screen size is they can see the amount of pixels that the website is projecting on your screen. They can also track like how long your cursor hovers over certain parts of the website. So like, you know, if you're like reading over a thing and putting your cursor next to lines as you read them or just like hovering over an ad for certain amounts of time, they can build up heat maps and shit. And it's getting to the <laughs> point now where like... Um, so like where for they, like ad placement on your screen... Mostly stuff, or, or just stuff you're interested in? I, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I mean, I'm not an expert on this subject. I just know that there's certain things like these that they can get, which actually tell them more that about you than you would think than your DMs or your messages would. And in, in certain cases, they're able to tell when a person is about to get sick or when a person is about to get pregnant before that person even knows. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I mean that's the reason to use shit like Brave is yeah, is yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, that's like the other thing is that um, if you're using Facebook, and you probably already know this, you're not actually a user of Facebook. You're a product that you're being sold to marketing companies. With well, that's money. the only reason it exists. It seems at this point, you know, like yeah, ex- exactly. It's like I, they're, they're taking your information and you become a commodity that they can sell to marketers who will pay a lot of money to show you products so they can sell you shit. I feel like I've neglected my Facebook marketing and stuff, but I, I truly kind of believe Facebook is useless uh, for advertising beyond a local scale. The only, the only businesses that I see getting the majority of their interest in commerce for their business through social media on Facebook, or yeah, it's just like small businesses. Like they've completely they've completely shafted musicians in so many ways. Like I just, I, so I, I find it really difficult to even want to go on there. Um, luckily I, my management helps me with social media. So, you know, I can somehow maintain some sort of presence on there and I'll go on there and I'll check my messages every now and then, but I, I really just hate the platform and I, I've always had ad blockers and stuff, but when you don't, it's just like that. I just feel like I'm hanging out in an ad farm. Mm-hmm. And listening to people or reading threads of people arguing with each other. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, like that's that's what Facebook kind of feels like to me. I mean, Twitter too, but I, I just, I'm more stimulated by the the content on Twitter, I guess. It's a little more spicy and interesting. And fa- Facebook just seems, 
and they're they're both really toxic but i actually just deleted twitter off my phone i i was not i was not having fun with it and i would just find my like sometimes it would just put me in a bad mood i wouldn't even realize it because i would just open it up and next thing i know i'm telling some kid to fuck himself you know because he, <laughs> he, he he offended me or somebody i care about or he said something that i deemed toxic and 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 i've just had this this ability to feel like oh i if i don't say something then i'm letting this slot you know i don't i don't know i don't know so i i just deleted it i was like i clearly can't keep my Dude. mouth shut on this platform so i'm gonna just yeah. delete it that's the same thing dead mouse did as well but um dylan ill gates uh i had a conversation with him like two days ago and he basically we had a conversation about arguments and he was like man you just got to keep saying the mantra in your head that nobody wins an argument no like, everyone yeah. comes out of that shit worse either angrier or they just think they're right and you think you're right and it doesn't fucking matter like yeah exactly <laughs> like, like no no one wins it's yeah just so i've 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 dampened my mood for the sake of that you know and that's why instagram nobody really argues on there on like it on mine or my friends threads i i did turn my dms off um for my stories because not because i want to neglect my fans like you can still i can still communicate with you in different ways but just having a direct link to me i found i was placing uh, placing a lot of energy and feeling like i had to address all these questions and things like that so now i kind of treat it like if you if there's something you really need to directly speak to me about then you know email me you know, it's like just, way, just put a little bit of extra friction between them getting a message to you and you receiving a message. Yeah, it's not that I think, you know, I'm inherently annoyed or something, but it's just all I kind of create. I just needed to create boundaries, I guess, to for my own sake. It had nothing to do with how people treated me or anything, but it was I just found myself like too accessible for for really at the end of the day, like I'm, I have my own life. I have. Yeah, no, I feel that. So, so my response to that, um, it was kind of a pain in the ass. But what I did was I spent about a week going through all my social media and every single person that I followed, I muted or, or like hit the unfollow button, but didn't like unfollow them so that they, so that yeah. I'm completely, like I just muted everyone. Um, so now when I go on any of my social media, regardless if I go on my phone or my laptop or my desktop and regardless of whether or not I have any plugins installed to block feeds or anything like that, I just don't see anything except maybe my own shit and some ads. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's that's good it. because it's like built up an association in my head that social media is just fucking boring. So I just go on there and I'm like, oh, there's nothing going on here. So I, I literally just use. I think Facebook is basically a messaging app for me. Um, and yeah, same here. I have the messaging app still installed, but I, that's it. No, I definitely <laughs> think that's a good idea. So I had a weird thought the other day. This is kind of like off track, but um, I thought about it earlier and, and wanted to bring it up. Um, you know how like uh, dick pills are like a thing that are always being sold online? It's like eat this pill yeah. and, and your dick will be so big you need to put it in a wheelbarrow. It's like a, it's like on the porn ads. It's like this guy's dick is like tiny and then it just keeps growing and growing. <laughs> some girl, some girls like standing behind him with her hands on her face like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, like, whoa. They're like, click on this link, you tiny dick loser. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> click. You got me. <laughs> um, so I don't like I don't know how 
I'm not a dick doctor or anything, but like, I don't You're know. Not. How, no, I'm not. I, I'm, okay. I don't know how complicated it is to make a dick bigger or whether or not there's anybody looking into that. But I've, I just had this funny thought the other day. I was like, there's this whole pandemic going on. I wonder if there's anyone just like sitting in their lab or their house still like trying to figure out how to make dicks bigger. <laughs> oh, now I've got all this time before the next time somebody's going to see my dick, I'm going to keep working on it. I, I actually, my friend, um, I, I won't. I won't put it out there where he worked or anything, obviously, but he uh, he worked for a telemarketing agency and he basically all these ads for things like that, like snake oil type ads, um, a lot of them are uh, consolidated into single call centers mm. So and it's all bullshit. And his job was to sell various different things. And one of the things he sold was, were dick pills or they would sell credit cards to old people to with terrible interest rates or um some of the things like they would sell like food ration kits and but he he just he knew it was all bullshit and i think he's kind of a sociopath for willingly doing this every day but he would just talk to and and they target people mostly if if they think you're in a uh, area with poor education or if there are impoverished people that are impoverished because they don't know how to spend their money things like that if they if they catch on to that they'll they'll just drive it way harder and he's so they would be selling these people dick pills and and they nobody came back being like this was great but people would come back being like oh this this didn't work you know and they'd be like okay well now it's time to try this different product and they would just keep selling the products until the people stopped calling oh my gosh <laughs> so it's like yeah, I, I the whole industry is a scam. You know what I mean? You can, there's no there's no supplement you could take to physically change a body part. That's just not how bodies work. You know, but he would he'd get the more he lied, the more money he would make, and it was just fascinating to me. I'm like, yeah, Joe but, Joe Rogan has a good stand up bit about that. He's like, if this like was even possible, like think about what the world would be like. There'd just be dudes everywhere with like huge <laughs> fucking dicks. And then yeah. like obviously women would have to evolve to accommodate that. So there'd just be all these women <laughs> with like massive loose ass pussies. I, I stand strong and I I'm a proud, proud minority in that I don't have a giant dick in this day and age of everyone has giant <laughs> we don't know what that does to your body. Yeah, I mean, I mean in an alternate reality, maybe somewhere, you know, there's there's a world like that. Yeah, I guess my thought was just like... Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, why were we talking about this? <laughs> well, my, my thought was that it, I, I just imagine like this doctor who's a, you know, obviously a smart guy who's trying to work on like biotech that can change body parts and shit, but rather than concentrating on the virus during this pandemic, he's still like helping oh, yeah. on making like a working <laughs> dick product. <laughs> it's it's got to be like the, like the EDM of the doctor world or something yeah he's right. like people have been getting trying to get a hold of him for weeks because they know that he's <laughs> the most advanced guy for the job but he's like i'm on the verge of a breakthrough like i can't <laughs> like you're gonna have to talk to somebody else and they're like, <laughs> this, it's like oh, it's out of my hands <laughs> i tried to call dr james but his phone line's disconnected like he's really deep in this dick pill research we got to kind of cut him some slack <laughs> Don't you want a big dick? <laughs> the virus will go away. My dick's not getting any bigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, it depends on where you place your priorities, I guess. I'm, yeah, I'm, I guarantee you this this dude exists. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to get him on the podcast. It's me. 
<laughs> Blender is a code word for dick pill research. <laughs> Yeah, I I've been either. designing dicks in Blender. Dude, I, I actually did design a dick in Blender the other day. Fuck yeah. How did it come out? It was all right. Um, hey, I, I wanted to ask you a question. I was on your Bandcamp earlier, just looking at how many releases you put out and stuff. And I was looking at your latest one, Tanglewood. And I was like, is there a, just like a fucking super task track on that EP? It's a collab. Oh, okay. Right. It, 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 it's pretty heavily kyle on that one um it just says super task so i was like wait did you just release a super task track there it does that's odd uh um, yeah so so there's the other collab which is you and what carla i think who is yeah the vocalist nate he, he yeah. lives in denver right and then the one with super task it just says super task weird I, I, on the website itself or did you download the track uh just on Bandcamp. i didn't download it weird um well thanks for humiliating <laughs> humiliating me on your podcast with my inability to (laughs) check these things no i no i was just curious because um dead mouse has like a few releases that he's put out recently called mouseville um and he's got like mouseville one mouseville two mouseville three and on there he has like you know one or two singles and then he'll have like a couple of remixes from other people of those singles but then on one or two of them he just has like other people's tracks they're like not his tracks they're like just tracks from other people but they're on releases called mouseville uh nestled amongst these other tracks that are his and remixes of his interesting yeah so i I was like is this like a new meta thing that i'm not getting or something i uh i kind of i kind of oh yeah it does say super (laughs) god damn it uh okay i I gotta go no um so (laughs) yeah i i see that in the hip-hop world a lot um like kind it's of kind of op- like a, open format community projects that don't really but it's not really like a va where it's like very like it's supposed to be a community project and and you're sort of marketing it as such but rather you're marketing it as your own thing but with a bunch of like features on there or something yeah i, I don't know um i mean maybe he's trying something kind of different i i, I like to think of like uh like travis scott um some of his albums are such a like such a grouping of different artists kind of doing different things where at, at some points if you listen to it you're like he I, i've kind of like, kind of drawn the conclusion that some of the tracks don't really have much to do with travis at all but like it's on his album because he curated this this idea or this vibe or, or like he he brought two different artists together that wouldn't have normally worked together otherwise maybe on like a hip-hop project and right so it so kind of just becomes kind of reminds kind of reminds me of that yeah he's more of just like a project manager or something yeah, I think I I I as I get farther along, I want to pretty exclusively work with a ton of vocalists. I think that's kind of the next step for my project. And uh I like Kala, for example, like you said, um I I'm working on I think 3 at this point new new songs with him and some of them don't really even sound like of the trees tracks at all and I'm like I I'm kind of considering maybe putting them on a separate release as as just Kala, you know, but I'm engineering the whole thing. And uh I guess I should probably talk to him more about that before I talk about it on the internet. But right, right. you know, but like I kinda like that idea. And uh, if I were to release it myself, you know, it's a project for somebody else, but I'm I my hand is heavily dipped in the in the basket, you know. I I like that, like getting a little more open format, you know. I'm tr- I'm trying to isolate a lot of my stuff like any project I work on kind of from the rest of the of the release world, you know, that's what I've been working towards is I don't I don't really like to work with labels anymore. 
and uh you know nothing personal it's just i like that level of control i have you know over everything if i it's completely independent but also I f- that i feel that as well i think um <clears throat> my i have these anxieties though about like and and i have this anxiety with collabs too so here's um like i have no problem like writing heinous amounts of music by myself but i have this like anxiety that if i don't have a collaborator on the track or i don't do the release with like a big label or something then all that work will be for nothing and nobody will care about it because it's like just me i i think a lot of that comes from how things were for a while and like the the like 2012 through now almost is that you know it's like this kind of clout ladder of like oh you need collabs on your album you need all this but i i don't i've i've seen good results you know i mean i have super task and stuff on that last one but um not really placing any value on uh who's collaborating with you on something from a marketing standpoint because because that's kind of all it is if you're worrying about that but i i do see why that might be something you're kind of conditioned to feel because it does have an effect but i i i think i if i were to start self-releasing music years ago it would not i would i don't think i would be where i am without doing my gravitas releases you know without their help i don't think i'd be where i am without doing some stuff with lacan like things like that Mm -hmm. but now that i've i've got that user base of people that like to consume my music i think it's safe to not really worry about it anymore yeah, it's like I, enough I, to springboard from there. Yeah, I think and there's people out there that want to consume my music regardless of some sort of hype aspect, so they're going to listen to it anyway. And if how, how in, important is it to you uh, that people consume your music at all? It's it's important. Yeah, I mean, I well, it's obviously important from a financial standpoint and making this into a career so you could play shows and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I I same reason i yap a lot on social media is because i have stuff i want to talk about and say to a lot of people that's important to me and i think music is just another message Mm -hmm. yeah cool um sick man well that's like probably 80 minutes of podcast i think we could probably wrap it there if if you're good with that did you want to say any other things um no i think i'm just following your lead you know just going off (laughs) <laughs> sick all right cool man well um yeah i appreciate you doing this and taking oh, yeah, some man. time out of your day yeah thanks for having me of course man all right have a good one where are you too buddy thank you for listening to the mr bill podcast thank you for listening to the mr bill podcast